All right, guys, so we're going to, we're in lesson 14 today. We're, this is our third and final section of walking as a believer. And this comes out of what we talked about last week. So I want you to look with me at verse 21, first of all, and of chapter 5. Here's what Paul says, submitting to one another in the fear of love. Do you remember we talked about that last week? And we talked about it in terms of it being an evidence of a spirit-filled life. So I just want to make a couple of points here because this verse is the key verse to understand the next section that we're going to be looking at today, okay? So Paul expresses that the spirit-filled life is reflected in a mutual submission to each other, okay? So remember... Part of being a spirit-filled life is that we are thankful. The other part is that we express our praise to God in song to one another. And the other one is that we're mutually submissive. Now, he points out how that mutual submission is expressed in three types of relationships. So in the Roman world, there were basically, in that ancient world, there were basically three types of relationships that existed. And they were husband-wife, parent-child, master-slave. Husband-wife, parent-child, slave and master. And that's what the whole society of the Roman world was based on, was those three relationships. Now you say, well, that's pretty general, George. There may have been some other. Yeah, there might have been some other things, but specifically it was focused on these three. Husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave. Okay? So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at how does submission manifest itself here in these three areas. Now, because remember, in verse 21... He's telling us to be mutually submissive to each other, okay? So let's, let me just go ahead and say that. The issue of submission isn't, like you hear sometimes in circles, just women to men. No, 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 no. If, if that's what you're saying, that's, you're just focusing on one aspect. It's also men to women, but he's going to give specifics about what that is. So let's take a look at what's going on here today. And so we're going to take it section by section. First of all, we're going to look at the husband-wife relationship. And we find that in verses 22 through 33. So let me read that to you. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her for the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, so let's take a look at this. I'm sure, you know, especially in independent Baptist circles, the, this, this spent, there's a lot of time focused on this issue of wives and how they are to be with their husbands. But there are, there's an element of truth to it, but there's actually a whole lot more here than you realize. And again, I need to remind you that the key verse in understanding this section and then the next two sections that we're going to look at is verse 21. Submit to one another. And so that means something's required of both of us in a relationship. Now, I'm going to go one step further. You can do what it says here and be a total failure. Do you get what I'm saying? You can look at this and say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to submit, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to do all this and be a total failure. Why? Because you're doing it on your own. Because while the key verse here is verse 21, where does verse 21 come from? What's verse 21 connected to? Anybody? No, no. Think about the context of what we're talking about. Remember I told you that the evidence of a spirit-filled life is giving praise, singing songs to one another, giving thanks, and then verse 21, submitting to one another. That's the evidence of the spirit-filled life. Now he's going to break up or explain the whole issue of submission with regards to the three relationships. So yes, the key verse that we go back to is verse 21, but verse 21 goes back to what verse? If you need to... I'll help you. Verse 18, what does it say? Don't be drunk with, but be filled. So I'm going to say to you that when we look at this, it's not just an issue of being mutually submissive to each other, but in order for you to be the husband that you need to be, or in order for you to be the wife that you are to be, or the parent or the child, you need to be what? filled with the Spirit. That's how you are enabled to be able to do these things. If you remove the Spirit from what he's talking about here, you're just going to be defeated. Did you understand what I'm saying? Or you can abuse it. And so let's talk about this together. We'll go through this and you'll see what we're looking at here. So first of all, verse 22 is... Verse 22 to 24 is the instructions for wives. So let's first of all look at the area of submission. So the earliest documents, okay, so we, when you, you guys understand our Bible is a translation of earlier documents, Greek documents, that reflect 
that were translated into what we have. Okay, so the earliest documents translate this verse, wives to your husbands. Wives to your husbands. So the earliest Greek documents don't have that word submit in there. The word submit is implied. So that's why later when they were writing down, back then they didn't have Xerox machines, they copied by hand. That word was put in submit because it's referring back to the verse we just looked at, verse 21. Verse 21, submit to each other mutually, right? Submit to one another in love. Verse 22, so he goes on and starts a new section. Wives to your husband. What's he talking about? Submission. Okay, so I just want to point that out, all right? Now, what does that got to do with anything? So the, so the, word, the verb submit is implied from verse 21. So that's how we got it, all right? Now, the word submit does not mean obey. Does everybody get that? Sometimes that's misinterpreted that wives are to obey their husbands. That's not what it's saying here. How do you know that, George? Well, if you go to chapter 6, verse 1, it tells children to what? Obey who? Their parents. The word there. In the Greek, for obey is a different word than submit. So it's not an issue of the wife being obedient to the husband. That is not implied in this text. It's not implied in the scripture. This is not an issue of you do what I say. Okay? That, you're not going to find support here from the text. How can you say that, George? Well, the Greek language is a little bit more precise than the English language. So when you use a Greek word, you're using it, it may be in a little bit more of a specific sense because English words tend to be general. So here he's talking about submission, but that doesn't, that's not removing anything here. So I'm just trying to say, let's not abuse the word, let's not abuse the concept here because what he's gonna ask, let me just go ahead and say it, what he's gonna ask of the wives as well as the husbands is hard. You're not going to want to do it, okay? But then you have to be what? Spirit-led, right? To do it, right? Spirit-filled to do it. This is the point, okay? So let's go on. Here's what we say. So it means to place others before yourself. That's what he's saying about submission. It is placing others, people who are on an equal plane. So I want you to understand, in the Scripture, women and men are on an equal plane. They were both created by God. Well, Adam, it was taken out of... Yeah, I understand. There's a creative order. But you're not... One species is not superior to the other. But rather, here are two co-equal people, but one of them in the creative order places themselves beneath the other. Okay? That's what it's talking about, submission. So then let's go back. Scripture says, verse 21, that we are to what? Submit to one another. Scripture is saying that I am to place myself beneath Rob, beneath John, beneath Bob, beneath Bruce. Sorry, I had to lost my mind for a moment, okay? Yes, yes. So... 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're all to do that with each other anyhow. Put the other one first. Here he's specifically saying to the wife, submit. But it doesn't mean obey. It means to put yourself before, put others before your wife. So Paul is calling wives to place the husband first. In fact, some of our English translations say that. Some of our English translations translate this, put your husband first. Okay? So that's the issue. Put your husband first. Now, Paul states that wives are to do this as to the Lord himself. So to give you an example of what he's talking about here is, is you are to do this just like you would do to the Lord himself. And every, nobody would disagree with we need to submit to the Lord, right? Put what the Lord wants before our own desires, right? So that's what he's saying here, okay? Now, Paul points out, points to the issue of headship in the creative order. So he uses the word, he says that the husband is the head of the wife, and as, as Jesus is the head. So it's the issue of headship, okay? It's an issue of authority. So wives are the head, excuse me, husbands are the head of wives as Jesus is the head of the church. Okay, so it's talking about a level of authority there. And wives then are placing themselves under that authority. Now that's not a dictatorship. How do you know that? So tell me how well you're doing at submitting to Jesus. How well are you personally doing submitting to what Jesus wants you to do? Huh? Not well. And does he hold it over you? You have to repair the relationship. But he's not beating you down about it. Okay, so what I'm saying is, is so sometimes women aren't going to necessarily do this, right? We're to be like Christ in this, okay? So I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying, don't make it a hard and fast thing that you have women submit. and become, It's kind of like a doormat theology. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, we're going to see that when we get to the instructions to husbands. A lot of time is spent here with women, submit. I remember as a young man in an independent Baptist church, a preacher basically telling women to come down to the altar and repent for their lack of submission to their husbands. That happens. Are you kidding me, George? Yeah, I'm telling you the truth. It happened in those circles of churches. But I'm going to tell you what I never heard anybody say. Husbands, come down and repent of not loving your wives the way you're supposed to. And we'll see what that means here in a moment. It's actually far more than you realize, okay? So here's what it is. So the word head refers to leadership, all right? To leadership. So Paul presents the relationship between the church and the Lord as an example to wives, okay? So this is an example to wives in how they are to respond and be mutually submissive to their husbands, okay? 
So wives are to submit or place their husbands first in every area. He says that. It's not George saying that. Okay, what do you mean? Well, look with me at verse 24. So let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Maybe there's got to be a different Greek meaning there. No, it's what it means. Okay, so let's go on. So let's talk about husbands now, okay? Because we're not off the hook. Remember, this is a mutual submission thing. So now he's going to talk to husbands about how they are to be mutually submissive. And so this is how we as men are to be mutually submissive in our relationship with our, our wives. And so what does that include? Paul is calling husbands to love their wives as Jesus loves the church. Boy, that sounds easy. I love my wife. I just want her to do what I want her to do. No, 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 listen to me. There's a whole lot more to this love thing than you realize. And he's going to explain it here in the passage. Whole lot more. What is he going to do? He's going to tell us, first of all, he points to Christ's sacrifice for the church as an example of how to love. You, guy, husband, are to love your wife sacrificially, giving of yourself for her, making sacrifice for her, living sacrificially, just as Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. What does that mean? You may have this big idea, you may have this big desire of what you want, but for the sake of your marriage and for the sake of that relationship with her, you will sacrifice your own desires for her. Really? Are you kidding me? Yes. I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you the truth. That's what he's calling us to do here. Wow, I don't know about that one. I want her to do what I want. No, no, but if you're mutually submissive to one another, you're going to sacrifice what you want for her good. Okay? For her good. Let's go on. So Christ's sacrifice was needed in order to the allow the church to become all that it should be it needed to be. I, I'm missing a word there, that it needed to be. All that the church. So I'm sacrificing my love for, for and, and I'm not saying I'm perfect here. I'm just going to use Lori and I as an example. So what Paul's telling George is, George, you need to mutually submit to Lori, verse 21, Here's how you do it. You love Lori. How do I love Lori? You love Lori like Jesus loved Lori. How did Jesus love, love the church? He gave himself. So he put, he put others before himself sacrificially so that the church could become what it was supposed to be. George, you need to put your desires aside and be what you need to sacrifice in a loving way for her so you can allow Lori to be all that she's supposed to be. Whoa. So I was first introduced to uh, this thought. I've really thought about it a whole lot more since then. In 1998, I was at a conference up at a Baptist uh, conference center up in um, Canada, up in Muskoka, their cottage country area. And the speaker that week was a guy by the name of Stuart Briscoe. He was pastor of a large church in Minnesota. 
His wife was Jill Briscoe. Anybody know who Jill Briscoe is? She used to write ladies, she probably still does, ladies Bible studies, okay? And so Stuart Briscoe was teaching through Ephesians and he got to this passage and he talked about how he was on a radio talk show talking about Ephesians 5 and he presented that, that this whole issue of submission and he said that he needed to live his life in order for his wife to become all that she was supposed to be. And a guy called in and said, you're only saying that because your wife is Jill Briscoe. And he said, your words are correct, but the manner in which you said it is wrong. Let me correct what you're saying. I'm only saying that because my wife is Jill Briscoe, and here's what I mean by that. He said, my wife is Jill Briscoe because I've sacrificed so that she could become all that she needs to be. So she is who she is because I am doing what I need to be so that my wife can be who she is. And I thought that was a powerful point. Now, here's the thing with all preachers, okay? And all things that sound good, you need to go back and study it yourself. You shouldn't walk out of there and say, okay, this is what I'm going to hold from here on out. No, no, what does the scripture say? And so you look at the scripture and you're like, yeah, it's, it's exactly right there. He sacrificed himself for what? The church. So it would be washed and pure it would be all that it's supposed to be. And that's my example of how I'm supposed to love her. Now, is that easy? Do I fail? Don't ask Lori. <laughs> Did you understand what I'm saying? Do I fail? Yes. So Paul tells husbands to love their wives like they would love and care for their own bodies. Just like you would take care of yourself. If you're hungry, you get something to eat. If whatever, just like you would take care of yourself. You take care of your wife. He's saying you submit to your wife by allowing her to be all that she needs to be. And you take care of her like you would take care of yourself. Now remember what the issue of submission is. is putting the other before yourself. It's saying to husbands, put your wife before yourself. Well, how can I do that? Verse 18 be filled with the Spirit. That's got to be how you're able to do this, okay? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, he states that no one hates his own body but cares for it as the Lord does for the church. And that's so true. We, we may not like what we see in the mirror, but we're not going to be brutalizing our bodies. Unless, if we do that, there's a, there's a health issue. Please come talk to me. We'll get you help, okay? You're going to take care of your own body. So Paul tells his readers that we are members of Christ's body. Okay, so he's just wanting to make that point there. We're members of Christ's body. He quotes Genesis 2.24 to express that the husband and wife are one flesh. They become one body. You become. So his point is, you take care of it like you would your own body. But here's the point. Remember, you are one body. So you take care of her. So this oneness is a mystery. The fact, I mean, so Lori's all the way over there. I'm here, but we're one. How, how's that? How, we're connected. How? It's a mystery. But he's talking, he says, 
He's speaking concerning the church, Christ and the church. That's a mystery too, that Christ is united with us, right? So he provides the reader with a summary of his teaching. So I want you to go with me to verse 33. Here's his summary. He's going to give a summary. And the summary is, in, is interesting because he defines again what he's calling each person to do, but he changes the word. Remember, he didn't give us the word. We added the word in because it's implied, but he tells us what the issue is in verse 33. So let's look at what verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so what's the issue here? All right, so he calls husbands to love their wives as they would love and care for themselves. Again, he's reiterating the point here. You want to submit? You submit to each other. How, husbands? Love your wives like you would take care of yourself and you care for them. And he's already explained what that is all in that passage. And then here's what he says to the wives. I think it's interesting. He calls wives to make an effort to what? Respect their husbands. Folks, they have, there have been numerous counseling studies and so forth that point out that the two sexes are completely different, okay? We're not going to get into the, what the biological stuff is, but I'm going to get into what the Scripture's telling us and what we do know from studies, and here's what it is. The key issue here is this. Men aren't interested necessarily in feeling loved, But what they are interested in is feeling respected. Men want to be respected. Period. Women don't want to just have love being expressed. They want to know that love in a tangible manner. What? Just as he explained here. Sacrificial love. Putting the needs of others before yourself. Loving her like you would love your own body. Allowing her to become all that God meant her to be. That's love. And that's what he's calling us to do. Now let's get back to it. How easy is this? Is it easy? No. So how do we do it? How do we do what seems to be impossible? What? Through the Spirit, yeah, because a wife might say, you know what, are you kidding me? Have you seen the decisions he's making lately? Do you know what I'm saying? Are you kidding me? Through the Spirit, okay? The phrase see to it conveys a call to action or effort. So remember, he's saying to the wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. He's calling wives to do that. Make the effort to respect your husbands. Okay, let's go on. Parent-child, we're going to look at verses 1 to 4, chapter 6. So let me read that to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So here he's now turning to the issue of parents and children. Okay, Now, unlike verse 21 where that word submit isn't there, it's implied, the word obey is, has a different meaning, and obey means what? Obey. Okay? 
Okay, obey. So here's what he's doing. Paul calls children to obey their parents in the Lord. So if they're believers, they're to do this in the Lord. This is required of them. Okay, this is required of them to be obedient to their parents. Now he stresses that this is the right thing to do. Now, I know, like, even our culture today wants to just blow that all off. Who cares what your parents say? You know, do whatever you want to do. I mean, they're, they're communicating that at a young age. That the right thing to do is to what? Do what your parents tell you to do, right? Everybody agree with that, right? That's what he's saying here. All right. So he points to Deuteronomy 5.16 and the commandment of God with a promise. God gave a commandment, honor your mother and father, and he gave a promise that if you would do this, this is going to happen. Okay? What did he say? Well, children are to honor their parents so that they live long, meaningful lives. Honor them, and in doing so, you're going to have a long, meaningful life. Now, you say, that's just a general promise. Well, I know somebody, they were really obedient to their parents, and they died at a young age. I understand that. Don't bring that. It's a general principle here. The general principle is if you do what you're supposed to do with your parents and honor them for who they are, you'll have a long, meaningful life, okay? Now, Paul calls parents not to provoke their children to wrath. I struggle with this one because sometimes I'm sarcastic and, and, and I want to provoke them. And my wife says, quit doing that. And that's a natural tendency, Right? We need to approach them differently. So he's saying the mutual submission is you just don't want to demand obedience from your children, have them do. You need to treat them in such a way that, number one, you're not provoking them to wrath. You're not provoking them. That's what he's saying here. So, rather parents are to bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Quit provoking them, but bring them up. Train them in the relationship with Christ, okay? That's what he's saying here. All right, so now we're going to get to the final one, which is the servant-master relationship. So let's take a look at this. This is verse 5 through 9. Here's what Paul writes. Bond servants, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as bondservants with bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free." And you masters do the same things to them, give, giving up threatenings, knowing that your own master also is, also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. All right, so now we're going to look at that final aspect. But I've got to make some opening comments here, okay? Here's the first one. We need to recognize that these instructions were written in the first century. Okay, so can, can, can we recognize that what he's writing here was written around 80, 50 to 80, 60 in the first century? This was not written 
in 2022. Okay? Now, there's a reason why you need to recognize that. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Slavery was a part of the everyday existence in that world with most people being slaves. Now, here's what I need you to understand. In the Roman world of that time, it doesn't matter where you were, from one end of the empire to the other, a majority of the world were slaves. In fact, slaves owned slaves. Most people were slaves. Now, how is that possible? Well, you remember, Italy, or Rome, is the conquering army. And when they came in and conquered a people and defeated them, they made the people who were left, what? Slaves. Slaves. They became owned, they became owned by somebody else. Now, there were lawyers who were slaves, doctors who were slaves, merchants who were slaves. Slaves weren't just people digging ditches. They were in all stratus of life, engineers, so forth. Every area of life was, had somebody who was owned by somebody. And with that, there were very few people who were free. Paul is one of those very few people. And a freed man had certain rights. Slaves had no rights. Okay, so this is the world in which he lives in. A lot of times Paul gets really a lot of flack from people today in our, 20, in our 20, 21st century world basically because it seems like he's condoning slavery. No, he's not condoning slavery. So what's going on here? Our task is not to look at their context with our 21st century eyes. You can't look at their context with our 21st. For us, slavery is abominable. We need to stamp it out. Nope, that shouldn't happen, even though it's still happening around the world. But to us, we would never tolerate that. We want to free the slaves, okay? That's where we're at. But in their context, that kind of thinking would be considered radical. That kind of thinking that we have right now would get you killed. Because we would be seen as countercultural trying to bring down society. Do you understand? Because in their days, it's part of just everyday life. So what's Paul doing here? So here's what Paul's doing. The scripture does not condone slavery, but gives instruction in how to live in that world. He's not condoning slavery. It's looking at what's there and telling you as a Christian slave, how are you to respond to your master? As a Christian master, how are you to treat your slaves? Do you understand now? Okay? So that's what we're looking at here. So let's get into it. Here's what it is. Paul calls servants to be obedient to their masters with fear and sincerity. So he's saying, be obedient. Again, same word that he told to kids. Be obedient in fear and sincerity. He stresses that they must do this as they would to Christ. So again, he's equating it just like you would do that to the Lord. You need to do it to your master. All right? He's going to go a little bit further here. This is the mutual submission thing. Because he's already called us earlier to what? Be mutually submissive. And again, let's remember, in order to be mutually submissive, you need to be what? Filled by the Spirit, right? So, they are not to serve this way when they're being watched in order to please men. So you just don't do it so that when he looks at you, he can say, oh, he's doing his work. 
You're to be this way, period. Because, first of all, have you ever been on a job where you got a guy who's just plain, well, I hate to say it, lazy. But when the boss shows up and a supervisor shows up, they're all of a sudden busy again. They're looking good. Hey, what do you want me to do? You know, and, and, they're, and, and everybody else is looking at it saying, wow. And the boss is thinking, boy, he's a hard worker. And then leaves. And guess what? He goes back to being what? Lazy. What was that guy doing? Giving eye service and being a what? A man pleaser. He's saying, don't do that. You serve because you are serving the Lord. Okay? You serve because you're... So rather, they are to do so as they serve the Lord from the heart. You know, don't just do what's expected of you. Just do what you're supposed to serve the Lord. All right, now, they must recognize that they will receive what is right from the Lord, whether slave or free. Your ultimate reward is with who? Jesus. Sometimes we forget that. We get so bent out of shape with how our boss is treating it. First of all, let's stop for a moment. We do need to make one equation. The closest thing we have to this kind of relationship today is the employer-employee relationship. Because in their context, they don't have companies with a supervisor. They have slaves with a master. Okay? And some people will say, yeah, well, I feel like a slave. My boss seems like a master. Yeah, this is my point. This is the equation. So there are some principles to carry over from here to where you are today, all right? So Paul calls masters to act in the same manner with their servants as they would Christ. So he's saying, now masters, you do the same thing. You do what's right as if you're serving the Lord. And what does he say? Masters are to give up threatening since there's no partiality with the Lord. Don't be threatening. Don't be mean or whatever. Because, hey, the fact is, you're going to have to stand before who? The Lord who what? Doesn't show any partiality. So he's saying to the masters the same thing. Okay. We're at our end. Next week, we're going to look at the spiritual battle.